0: Pray together. Lord, you know our lives and our hearts. You know our situations. And you know what we need to hear this morning from your word. Please, Lord, help us to have expectant hearts now. That you are going to talk to us. That you are going to speak into our lives and into our situations. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be open to you speaking to us today. Talk to us, we pray by your spirit and bring glory to the name of Jesus. Please, Lord, we ask, do this for your glory's sake and in Jesus' name, amen. A big question to ask, but an important one is this, what is humanity's biggest problem? What is the biggest problem in the world? Uh, many years ago, I used to go down every year to Bournemouth and on the streets there, we'd go and tell people about Jesus. And One of the things we do is be, we'd ask questions, and one of the questions we would ask to try and help start conversations is this: "What's the biggest problem in the world?" And every year, it would change. The main answer that came through would change depending on the news. At the news, if the news at that time was terrorism, then the biggest problem was terrorism or religion. If the biggest problem on the news that time was um, leaders and corrupt government, then the problem was corrupt government. And it seemed to change every year, depending on the news and the emphasis there, the answer to the biggest problem. But I wonder what your answer would be to that today. The biggest problem, our biggest problem, could it be politics, power, corrupt leaders, tyrants, wars? Could it be division, such a polarised society? That's the biggest problem. Could it be religion? and the tensions between different religions all over the world? Could it be money and how it's not fairly distributed and how it makes some people greedy and others in desperate situations? Could it be the threat of another pandemic around the corner? Who knows? Is that our biggest problem? See, unless we get to the heart of the problem, we're not going to know the solution. In our first house that we had, um, one day we came in and we saw in the kitchen a pool of water. And so instantly we kind of thought, oh no, spilt something here, let's mop it up. So we mopped up the pool of water and thought nothing more of it. But then a few weeks or months, I can't remember the details later, the same thing happened again. And we couldn't remember spilling anything. And suddenly this started to be a bit of a problem. It wasn't just a simple job of mopping up the water. The water was coming in from next door because they were on a higher level to us and it was coming through the wall. So the solution, it wasn't a mop. We had to move out of the house. We had to get the wall hacked off. We had to dig a drench, not us, but we had to get somebody to dig a drench in so the water would flow out. The problem wasn't a superficial one, it was deep and it needed a drastic solution. So, what's the biggest problem we have? Well, over the centuries, haven't we tried lots of different solutions as humans? We've tried different types of politics, we've tried changing leadership. We've tried fresh determination. We've tried new ideas. We've tried countless new starts and and fresh dawns, as it were, false dawns. But the honest assessment is, isn't it, we are broken. Humanity is broken. The system is broken. And there's no quick and easy solution. But today in this passage, the reason I've started like this is because this. God deals with our biggest problem here. He shows us what it is and shows us his plan to deal with it and both of them are quite shocking answers what is our biggest problem god's answer is this we are alienated from him we are separated from him we were created to be near to him to be one with him and we have walked out on that and that is the root of every other problem because we our relationship is uh, broken between god and us the vertical relationship, relationship The other problems are all around the sea. So what is God's answer to the world's problem? Well, this is a big surprise. His answer in this passage we see is the church. The church. Hang on, the church? Surely the church is actually the cause of a lot of these problems. Surely this isn't the answer to the problem. They cause so much pain over the years. But when we truly understand what God means by the church, his people, we see where the hope is. And often the, prob- the reason we, the, the solution doesn't, isn't so clearly seen to us in the church is because the church forgets important truths that God has shown us. Look how this passage starts in verse 11. Therefore remember, Paul says, remember this. See if we forget it, then we're not going to um, be able to help in the solution of the problem all around us. So there's three things we'll look at this morning. The first is this, we need to remember the problem. We need to remember the problem. This is in 11, 11 to 12. So to understand this deep problem we face, this, this um, alienation that we have from God, Paul wants to show us we need to understand another separation, another hostility that there is. And that's between, in this passage, Jew and Gentile, Jew and non-Jew. And to help us understand what's going on here, we need to understand the Old Testament. So I've made up a little story that hopefully will help us to see what's going on here. Imagine a world that is in total darkness. And in this world of total darkness, people obviously won't be able to see. They can't see a thing. And one day, a king comes. And this king comes along and he shows a group of people a light. He says, look, I have this light. I want you to be uh, this protector of this light for the whole world because this is the only light the world has. And so the king tells this group of people, he says, look, I'm choosing you to look after this light. Here are some things that you need to do to make sure this light keeps burning and keeps going. You need to make sure that this light shines for all to see so that people can come and see their light because they're at the moment in darkness. So you are to hold this light out to the whole world. So in order to keep that light burning, these people had these rules to keep the light burning. And it was a privilege. It was an honour to have this light. And so they kept it. They were the people of the light. To keep it safe, they built a city. To keep this light safe, they built walls. And they kept the rules to keep the light burning. But over the years, something happened. Remember, the aim of that light was to show the whole world what light looked like. For people to come from all over to see it. But the people started to become proud of their light. This is our light. We have this and other people don't. We are the people of the light. They are the people of the darkness. And so instead of sharing this light with others, what did they do? They started to look down on others. If there were other people who didn't trust Uh, didn't follow or didn't uh, come know this light then they looked down on them and they despised them they just looked on them and said people of the darkness and they kept them out slowly and gradually the light began to fade now why am i telling that story and i know it's a silly story in many ways but in one sense that is one of the pictures we see in the old testament god's people god chose them and he said you are to be my people he came to Abraham and said, through you, your nation, you, you will have a nation uh, de- of your descendants and they will bless the whole world. They are to hold out the hope and the truth of who I am to everybody. To mark you out as different, I will give you things you need to do. One of the things was to be all the males to be circumcised. So you will be the circumcised people. So Abraham's descendants became this great nation, the Jews, and God told the Jews, shine to the world. Show them what I'm like. Live in the way that I say so that they can see that I am different to all the other idols that are all around. Here are some laws. Keep these. You're my special people. So to meet with God in the Old Testament, people were to come to the Jewish people. They were to see them, to come and encounter God with them. So the Jews kept these laws. They kept separate. They kept different But slowly, instead of those laws being ways of showing God's character to other people, they became a way of making the Jews self-righteous. And instead of holding out this light to others, they started to look down on other people. And so they called other people the uncircumcised. And that wasn't just a a small thing. It was a, a real derogatory term, looking down on others. And so the place where they met with God, they built up a wall. And it was five and a half foot high. And it said on it, and they wrote on it, if you're not a Jew when you come in here, don't be surprised if you end up being killed. So do you see there's a hostility between the Jewish people and the Gentiles. The Gentiles had no access to God. They were in a desperate situation. They were outside. Now let's read verses 11 and 12 and see what Paul's getting at. Therefore, remember That at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So if you weren't, uh, if you didn't have access to God, you see what we're called there says, these people, the Gentiles, they were without Christ, without the promises of God. They had no hope and nothing. As one commentator puts it, they, are, they were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless and godless. And Paul wants us to see, look, this is our natural state without God. There's going to be hostility between groups of people. But as well, we are going to be naturally alienated from God. We are far from him. We are cut off from him. We saw that last time in Ephesians 2, many weeks ago now. But he was saying there, look, without God, there is no hope for the future. Without him, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And that's an individual problem. But when you kind of enlarge that to a world scale and you have lots of people in that situation, then as a society, we're lost and we're in darkness. And the reality is without God, there is no hope. For us. It's all down to us. Without God. It's all down to us. Fixing it on our own. And look at the mess we're making of it. We seem to take two steps forward. And then ten steps back. Without God. There's no saviour. We are our own saviours. And we are making a hash of it. Aren't we? Now perhaps today. You feel a bit like that. You can think of your life. Think of how you feel. And you think. You know. I feel hopeless. I just feel like there is no hope anywhere. I can't do this on my own. I can't seem to get out of this rut. Where is their help? Where is their hope? Where is the saviour? You know, sometimes we are aware, aren't we, that we are cut off from God. We are alienated from God. We feel that gap. So we are alienated from God. The vertical, there is a problem. But as well here, can you see underneath it, there is this tension between Jew and Gentile. Tension between people looking down on one another. There's a hostility there. And because the relationship vertically is wrong, there will be horizontal problems as well. Tensions between one another. And what happens? People look down on other people. So the Jews here would look down on the uncircumcised. Look down on them and they wouldn't wouldn't talk to them, wouldn't meet with them, wouldn't allow them in their houses, wouldn't go into their houses. There would just be the separation. And Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus and talking to them and saying, look... You need to deal with this problem, this hostility that's there. See, if we take God out of the picture and we put anything else there, there's going to be problems. This is what one uh, writer put it. He says this, if we put anything but God in the first place in our life, if anything but God is our higher love, then we're going to struggle. If our highest goal in life is the goal of our family, then we will tend to care less of other families. If our highest goal in life is the good of our nation, our tribe, or our race, then we will tend to be racist or nationalistic. If our ultimate goal in life is our own individual happiness, then we will put our own economic power and interests above those of others. Do you see, when we put anything but God at the centre of our lives, society breaks down. We are broken. We are alienated from God. We are stuck in, uh, in, in struggles on our own, but as well as a society. It's the same. And so the divisions we see around us today are there because we've elevated something above God. Something seems more important to us and this is the ideal and unless we'd have this, then nothing else will work. And so we look down on people who don't follow the same ways and there's division, there's hostility. So the heart of the problem Paul wants to get at and show us here today is this. The real problem is that we're alienated from God and the knock-on effect is huge. So what happens? What else do we need to remember? Well, now we need to remember the costly salvation. How can this problem be sorted? This alienation between God and the division between people. Well, verse 13 helps us. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How can this be sorted? Well, we need a saviour. We need a rescuer. How can people who are divided be brought back together? We need somebody who's going to make the difference. Now, back to our pretend story of the city of light. This city is protecting this light. But because they're protecting it, they're ignoring others. They're looking down on others. and, And so there needs to be another intervention. So the king has a plan. He sends his son. And his son comes down and his son takes away the wars, takes away those things that were stopping other people seeing the light. He wanted more and more people to see the light. And so the son comes and he makes a difference. Now, what's the answer to our problem? The answer to our problem is Jesus Christ. He came, he died, he took the punishment in our place. And verse 14 puts it like this, he himself is our peace. He has made peace between us and his father. So what was Jesus doing when he died? His blood was being shed and he was breaking down the hostility between us and God. Jesus takes the punishment so we can know peace and forgiveness. Interesting how verse 18 sums it up as well. Look there. For through him we have access in one spirit to the father. Through Jesus, we have access to God. We can speak to God. He is verse 14, broken down this dividing wall of hostility. Now here, Paul is talking about and using the image of a temple, isn't he? Now the temple is a huge help to us as we talk and think about the blood of Jesus and how that gives us access to God. Because it's, again, we need to know the big picture of what's going on here in the Bible. So let's go back to the very beginning. Back to Eden. Remember how God made us. We were made not to be alienated from him, but to walk in the cool of the day with him, to enjoy fellowship with God, to be near to him. He created us to know and experience his love. That is home. That is true home. That's where we belong. But we've turned from God. We sinned. We turned away from him. And Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, out of paradise, out of home, out of God's presence. And do you remember what God did to guard the entrance He put there a cherubim and a flaming sword. If you want to come back into my presence, God was saying, somebody's going to have to go through the sword. Blood has to be shed. So God set up the temple. And in the temple, it was a mini garden of Eden. Loads of things there, if you look through the descriptions, are there to remind us of the garden of Eden. It was where God dwelt in a special way. There's pictures of trees, there's flowers on the curtains, but there's still this big curtain separating us and God, and it's it, weaved in it is cherubim to remind us of that, that um, barrier. But once a year, one person could go into the presence of God. Once a year, uh, one person could go into the Holy of Holies, the high priest. But how did he get in? Blood had to be shed. An animal was killed, blood was sprinkled to show to get into God's presence, someone has to go through the sword. Blood has to be shed. So on the cross, as Jesus died, what was happening? Well, he went through the sword for us. He went in that situation. He took the blame for us. And as Jesus died, as his blood was shed, do you remember in Mark's gospel, he takes us to the temple and the temple curtain is torn in two from top to bottom and there is a way made. Access, To God. Jesus went through for us. So that we could have access to God. So how can we be right with God? How can this alienation that we have naturally be taken away? Through the blood of Jesus. By his death in our place. So it's not by being good. It's not by being religious. It's not by trying our best. It's through the blood of Jesus. There's no other hope but that. By his death. So now we have access to God. Through the blood of Jesus. He is our saviour. He is the rescuer. He is dealing with the biggest problem we have. Our alienation from God. Now as we think through that. Do you remember the problem of uh, the horizontal problem. The vertical problem sorry. Is also a horizontal issue as well. Can you see if we grasp that we are saved by the blood of Jesus. How that transforms how we see This. See we're all in the same boat. We cannot save ourselves. We need a Saviour, somebody else to rescue us. We're all naturally objects, as it says in chapter 2, of God's wrath. And only Jesus is our hope. He alone can rescue us. So you have nothing to boast in, nothing to show off in. It's all down to Him. We can't look down on anybody else. We're all in the need of a Saviour. And there's only one way for us to be saved and that's Jesus. Whatever our educational background, whatever our bank balance says, whatever our moral performance and history, whatever our family history, whatever connections we have, it doesn't matter because the only hope we have is the blood of Jesus. We are all brought on a level um, to when we come to the cross. There's no hierarchy. And so how can we look down on anyone? Jesus has done it all. So if you're a believer this morning, let's, let that sink deep into our hearts. You're in no position to look down or touch at anyone. The only reason we are saved is because Jesus has done it. The only reason we can say we are forgiven is because Jesus has done it. Jesus and the blood of Christ is our only hope. And if you're not a Christian, listen to this. Whatever you've done, whatever your past, Whatever your history, you can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Whatever you have done, Jesus can pay for it. And it's all Him. It's all Him. He gets all the praise. See, in Revelation, when we see this glorious vision of heaven, there's celebration, there's rejoicing. And who is at the center? The Lamb who was slain. It's not people saying, oh, we've done so well to get you. We really did scrub ourselves up. No, in heaven, it's all about Jesus and the lamb. He's at the centre. So we need to remember this because we're dealing with the biggest issue and biggest problem we have in humanity, which is our alienation from God. And so remember the real problem. But also we need to remember the costly salvation, the blood of Jesus. Now let's finally look at and remember the glorious results. So we're alienated from God. That makes us hopeless, it makes us without a saviour, but also it leads to this deep division between people. And there is going to be people looking down on other people if we don't, if we're not um, remembering what God has done for us. So Jesus come and he's died and he's shed his blood for us, for us to be saved, so what? How does that help us with this biggest problem of all? Well, the first thing, the first thing it does is we can know peace with God. Look at verse 14 with me. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. So Jesus himself is our peace. This morning, we can be sure that we have peace with God. And isn't that wonderful news? That we are, there is no longer hostility or alienation between us and the God who made us. But we can know peace. We can know we're right with him. So whatever else is going on in our life, we can know for sure that we are right and accepted with God because of what Jesus has done. So right now, if you're trusting in Jesus and if you're trusting in his blood, you are forgiven. You are right and there is peace. Now that is the most important position you can ever be in. If you're wondering, well... Will God accept me? You know, how do I stand with him? If we're sheltering under the blood of Jesus, we are forgiven and there is peace with God. But the second result of this is that there will be peace with each other, peace with each other. Look at verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. So we had these two groups the Jews and the Gentiles. And now they they don't have access through the Jewish rituals and the laws. No, Jesus said, no, I've done away with that. I fulfilled that. That was just pointing forward to me. Now I am the great sacrifice. I am the great high priest. I am the temple. It is all fulfilled in me. And now we have access together. We have access through one man and he has created one new humanity. No, no more groups anymore. No more different people. No, we have that together. And when we trust in him together, we realise that we have peace with one another. And so the, the tensions that there would have been in the church in Ephesus would have been big. Here are, uh, people who um, never would have spent time together. We thought earlier in the week, for those who were in the big read this week, we thought of Peter going to see Cornelius. And he had to have this, this vision revealed to him to show him that it was okay for him to eat the unclean food and that made him ready to be able to prepare himself to go and see Cornelius because otherwise he would never have gone into Cornelius' house. Here was Peter who never would have been into a Gentiles and non-Jews' house. He wouldn't have sat down to have food with him. He wouldn't have been able to speak to him. But because of Jesus' death, it's all, all the ceremonial laws have gone. Jesus fulfilled and completed them which means we are now one, one humanity. And who is this one humanity? This is the church. This is where it starts. It starts with God's people. I don't mean the institution, but his people, people who he has saved, one humanity, united together, that broken wall of hostility between Jews and, and Gentiles is gone. And so now we are one. We are the church. Now, can you see how desperate it is when a church is full of hostility, when there's division and arguments and fights? We are to be this new humanity. We are to be this one where we have peace with God and peace with one another. And so we need to pray as a church for unity. We need to pray as a church that God would keep us together. God would keep us looking to our saviour, that we would remember the peace that we have with him and the, uh, how united we must be because of what Jesus has done for us. See, our world is full of strife and divisions. The church should be a place where we can come and there is peace. If, imagine you were in the middle of a war and we think of our brothers and sisters in the horrendous situation in Ukraine right now and you heard there was an area where there was peace, wouldn't you flee there? Wouldn't you just want to get there? There's peace here. Let's pray that we grasp that the cross of Jesus and the blood of Jesus creates peace with God and peace between us so that we are now one. God, starting again, as it were. This must be a place of peace. So we don't pretend, of course, we're going to upset each other. Of course, we're going to, there's going to be tensions at times, but we need to pray that God will help us to keep our eyes together on Jesus, keep our eyes on his forgiveness, that he has cleansed us. And one another. And the reason if that doesn't happen is because we've forgotten these truths. These truths that Paul and Sam says, look, you need to remember the real problem. We're alienated from God without Jesus. And we will be there'll be tension between one another. We need to remember our glorious Savior and the costly salvation of his blood being shed. And we need to remember that there is glorious unity and peace between one another because of the peace that we have with God. So look at verse. Um, 17. It says here, He came and preached peace to you. Jesus came and preached peace to you. Do you know that? Right thought I don't remember Jesus preaching to me. But Jesus uses his word. He might have used a friend. He might have used a family member. He might have used a book. But Jesus came to you and he said, Look, I want to make peace. I am preaching peace to you. Jesus preached peace to you if you're trusting him this morning. And if you're not a Christian this morning, Jesus is preaching peace to you now. Through his word. He is saying, I want you to be right with me. I want to forgive all the wrong you've done. I want your my blood to cleanse you from all sin. Jesus is saying and inviting you this morning to come. What an amazing thought. And here's another little encouragement. If you are oh, it's not a little, it's huge encouragement you know what it's like to have the gospel message and to have the glorious truth of Jesus. We know what God has done for us, and we just want other people to know it. So if you're here because a friend's invited you or told you about um, Jesus or about church, it's because they want you to know this glorious hope that they found. But sometimes as Christians, we get scared to talk about Jesus. Sometimes we might get embarrassed. Sometimes we might think, oh, I wish that." My friend or family could hear somebody talking about Jesus, you know, like a Billy Graham or some famous person who could really put it across well. I can't do that with, with my feeble words. I get muddled in my words and my thoughts. I can't say and tell people about Jesus properly. But look, when you tell people the gospel, do you know what's happening? Jesus is speaking peace through you. You are actually taking them to the best evangelist there is. You're telling them about Jesus. So with all our muddled words, as we try and tell others about Jesus, remember the verse um, 17, he is preaching peace to those who are far off. He's preaching peace to those who are near. Jesus is with you. He is for you. And so this week, as you went to tell other people, don't think, oh, I wish I could make them hear somebody else. No, Jesus called you to speak into that situation. He's called you to speak into your family, into your friends, into your work colleagues' lives. Let Jesus preach peace through you. Peace by his blood. What great encouragement that this week we don't go alone, but we go with him. So today, the biggest problem in the world is our alienation from God. And we've replaced God with other things and those things become the ultimate things that then divide us. So Jesus comes. He shed his blood so that we could then see how glorious God is for us to be united together with him and that we can know peace with God and peace with one another. The dividing wall of hostility is gone. So then, uh, verse, four, sorry, verse 18, for through him, we have access in one spirit to the Father. Let's pray together. This would be something we truly live out and know in our hearts. Let's pray.